we have called this series True Story. Um, how many of you are into hashtagging? Let me see your hand. Okay, there you go. There you go. Not going to lie. So um, we, we talked about how Luke, Luke was hashtagging before hashtagging was cool, right? Um, he, he was a Gentile, and he was paid money by another Gentile. That guy's name was Theophilus to go around and do, um, to do some research, to investigate. He said, look, go investigate and see if all the things that we've heard about Jesus are actually true because I'm thinking about following Jesus. Now, back in the day, you know, now we're in America. You can follow Jesus in America, and sometimes it won't cost you anything. Have you noticed that? But back in the day, in this day, if you were going to follow Jesus, it could cost you everything. It cost you money. It could cost you your life. It could cost you your family. So Theophilus is smart. He's like, I'm thinking about following this guy named Jesus. I've heard stories. I'm not sure they're true. So I'm going to pay Luke whatever it takes. Luke was a physician. Take, close your practice down. Go around, interview people before they die. Find out if these things are true. And we know this from Luke chapter 1, verse 4. Luke said this to Theophilus, I've done all this so that you may know the certainty or the truth of things you have been taught. A lot of unbelievable stories in Luke. And you know how this true story thing works. If you say something that sounds unbelievable, it might be. But if you go, hashtag true story, it's like, oh, dude, that really happened, right? So this is kind of hashtag true story. This is Luke saying, these things that sound unbelievable, they are undeniably real. You can believe them. Last week, we looked at the, um, the first half of the first chapter. We talked about um, the birth of John the Baptist being foretold and, and the birth of Jesus being foretold. Um, we talked about how God does birth announcements. Uh, you can catch all that online if you want to. It's really good stuff. So today, we're going to pick it up um, halfway through the first, ver- the first chapter. We'll be in verse 39. What you'll notice is, I don't know if you got the NIV or not, but I do. So there's like headings for the different sections. And two of the headings mention songs. There's Mary's song and there's Zechariah's song. So it's kind of like a musical. It kind of got me thinking about musicals, right? So like you got these songs. Um, I don't know if you love musicals or hate musicals. Just out of curiosity, how many of you, you love musicals? Raise your hand. Like I'm all about musicals. Okay, and how many of you hate musicals? You're my crowd. You hate music. Okay, we're, we're in the minority, but we're right. Bless God. Thank you. That's fantastic. So I was researching top five musicals of all time. I'm just curious to see how many of these you've heard of and or maybe seen. Here we go. Number one in order from number one to number five, top five of all time, according to the International Music Database. Number one. Anyone want to guess? Ah, it's not Greece. I knew someone would guess that. Greece is not even in the top five. It's Singing in the Rain. Number one, Singing in the Rain. Number two, West Side Story. Number three, The Wizard of Oz. Number four, The Sound of Music, The Hills Are Alive. That's creepy. Um, and then number five is An American in Paris, which in today's world may be not a good musical at all, right? But An American in Paris, um, a lot of you may have never even heard of American in Paris. So those are the top five. Um, I know what you're thinking, especially if you're under 20. You're like, wait, where's high school musical? One, two, three, four, five, six. They're not even in the list. Like not even in the list, right? Um, so sometimes if I'm watching a musical, and that's a big if, if I'm watching a musical, I started to think things like, what would life be like if life was a musical? Have you, ever, have you ever wondered about that? Like, if life were a musical, well, you would have, like, conversations with people, and as you're having the conversation, a soundtrack would start to play, right? There'd be music, and everybody could hear it, 
And you would start singing whatever you're saying. You'd start singing it to the person. And whoever you're having the conversation with, they would suddenly know the words to the song that you didn't even know was going to play. And they would know the harmony to the song. And they would start singing back to you. It'd be perfect. And then if it's a real musical, then what would happen is eventually the streets would be filled with people who know how to dance in perfect unison and choreography to the song that you're singing in perfect harmony with the person you're talking to, and it would just all go together. I think we have a picture of this um, here. Like some people start singing and dancing, 50 strangers join them and dance the same choreography. This is what, if life was a musical, you would be in Walmart, you'd be at Pizza Hut, you, wherever you, you just you'd start singing, people would join in, people would start dancing. It would be epically awkward. It would be... Um, Horrible. If it was a Disney musical, you would have all that, plus you'd have a band playing guitars that are not plugged into any equipment, right? If it's a Disney music, you'd be like, how do we hear it, right? How do we hear the music? It's not plugged into anything. Um, the, the best musicals, the best musicals, if, well, I guess it would be those top five, have a way of introducing the music into the movie in a way that's not out of place, right? You've seen this? You're watching the movie. Um, you're into it, and then Julie Andrews starts singing and the sound of music, and the hills are alive. And you're like, yeah, the hills really are alive. You know, it's like you're just into it. But then, like, the bad ones, like Disney stuff, like, the music almost interrupts the music, the, the movie. It just doesn't seem to fit. And you're like, it was kind of a corny movie, but they're making it work. And then they start singing. It's like, ugh, it just doesn't seem to fit. And so this morning, as we're looking at chapter one, I want you to think like this, like, what makes musicals awkward? What makes music? And that doesn't mean if you like musicals, you're awkward. If you like musicals, then I have a gift for you. Let's go show them that picture. That's your gift. Okay, well, um, tell the person next to you, buy me that for Christmas, right? Just wear that around. I break in, out in show tunes. But what makes musicals awkward, and how can we keep from being awkward? Okay, it'll make sense as we go through this, because we're going to see these two songs just pop out of nowhere in, in Luke chapter 1. It's kind of like Mary and Zechariah get caught up in a musical, but it's not awkward. And I want us to find out why is that? Why, why is when they sing in a conversation it's not weird, but when we watch it happen on Disney, it's awkward? What is it that makes musicals awkward? Here it is. The music never seems to fit. It never seems to fit. It's out of place. It's like they forced it in there. And what we're going to find in this chapter is that Mary and Zechariah, when they sing, when they break out into song, it fits. Because it's a, it's a picture of who they already are. Let, let me do this. I'm going to read 41 verses. We're going to read the whole thing. If, if you get lost, meet me at the end of chapter 1. We're going to read the whole thing. And we're going to go back through and just kind of walk through it step by step. I'm going to give you the big idea. And you'll see where it all kind of makes sense. Okay, first, let's read it. We're not going to probably read the whole book of Luke as we go through this series, but this first chapter is really important. So um, we're going to start in verse 39. We're picking up where we left off last week. Um, Mary is going to visit Elizabeth. They're both pregnant at the same time. And here we go, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she... 
who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Cue the soundtrack, and Mary breaks into song, first song of the musical. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Remember, Elizabeth was really, really old, right? Well advanced in years, I think is how her husband said it, because he was smart and didn't want to call her old. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise a child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Now, before you continue, let me say, like, why are they making signs to the father? Remember what was wrong with Zechariah? He couldn't talk. He could hear, though, couldn't he? Like they're, they're making signs to a man who can hear. This, this reminds me, when I lived in Lake Wiley, every Wednesday night after church, we went to the same Mexican restaurant. I love Mexican food. It's fantastic. We would go to the same Mexican restaurant, and we started taking um, one of my friends. He was helping us in the youth group, and he would order the same way every Wednesday to the same server. The server would walk up. He, you know, he kind of looked a little Hispanic, a little Mexican. He, so my friend would order like this. I would like... A chicken quesadilla. And the same dude every week could be like, so chicken quesadilla. Because <laughs> like, like he speaks English. He's not hard of hearing. But my friend would always order slow and loud. Totally unnecessary. Kind of like here. I don't know why they're making motions to a man who can hear. Maybe he got tired of people like, you know, asking what was wrong with him, so he just acted like he couldn't hear. I don't know. Maybe he's just make, making, having fun with him. I have no idea. But they make signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and broke out in song. Cue the music, musical, here we go. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, he's talking to his eight-day-old baby boy named John, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadows of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew, became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to 
Israel. Okay, so that's a lot of stuff. We need to go back. I'm going to give you the big idea right up front, and I'm going to show you how this works through that passage. Um, the way the big idea works for us, if you're here for the first time, it's just, I'm, I'm just totally admitting that over the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to say some stuff. You're not going to remember half of it, but if you can remember this, you'll get the gist of what we're talking about. I'm going to read it to you, explain it to you, show you where it works in this scripture, and then we'll pray and go watch the Panthers obliterate the Falcons. It'll be awesome. Okay, so here's the big idea. Our lives need to point toward Jesus, not just be periodically for Jesus. Our lives need to point toward Jesus, not just be periodically for Jesus. Let me explain it real quick so you can see what I, at least what I'm saying about this, and then I'll show you where it is in this passage that we just read. Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah, and I know John's only eight days old, but like we kind of get what John's going to do as he grows up. These are four lives that are pointed toward Jesus. Like if the people around them said, what's the direction of your life? They'd go, oh, well, the direction of their life is towards Jesus. They're pointed towards Jesus. Um, we'd like to think that people would say that about us. I'd like to think that people that know me would say, yeah, Paul, his life is pointed towards Jesus. Like if he's got a compass, Jesus is true north for him. What does it mean to be periodically for Jesus? Um, hopefully you'll get this. How many of you, might have been a long time ago, ever went to youth camp? Raise your hand. Church camp, any kind of camp like that. Okay. So remember how you'd go to camp? And somewhere around Thursday, you're so tired and you're so hungry, you haven't used the bathroom in three days, you're in a very emotional state, and you go to that last service on Thursday night, and everybody's crying, and everybody's at the altar, and you're like, God, I'll do anything, I'll even go to Africa. Like, you're just all in on Jesus, right? And remember how, like, it was so real, you got the feels, it was the, like, and then you went home. On Friday, and somewhere around Saturday morning, you didn't feel it. Remember that? And somewhere around Monday or Tuesday of the next week, everything seemed to be back to the way it was before you went to camp. And you were saying things to, like, to yourself like, I wish I could go back to camp. That's what it means to be periodically for Jesus. Like you have these moments when they're genuine, you're all in, it's totally legit, but it's just a moment. For a lot of people, Sunday is that moment. We come to church, hopefully Paul preaches well, Phil picks my favorite song, we sing, it's great, we love it, but somewhere around Tuesday you're like, I wish it was Sunday. But God wants us to be pointed toward Jesus, not just periodically for Jesus. Jesus is not a song on Sunday, he's Lord on the other six days as well. So here's what we're going to do. Um, if you guys can note sheets, uh, just that sheet of paper, if you don't, write it on your arm, it'll be fun. Seven marks, okay? I'm going to give you seven, seven marks. That'd be awesome. Seven marks of, of what a life looks like if you're pointed towards Jesus, okay? Seven marks, seven characteristics, seven things you'll see in your life if we're living pointed towards Jesus. Now, let me just give you this disclaimer, and then we'll, we'll knock them out. You're not going to be like a one, if one to ten is the scale, if one's low and ten's high, you're not going to be a ten on all seven of these. Like, you might find one, be like, that's mine, dude, I'm all over that, I'm killing that right now. But then I might say another one, you're like, ugh, negative numbers for me, right? Um, but the goal here is that these would be in our lives in increasing measure. And, and not only that, but that people that know you would say about you, yeah, that's, that's who they are. That's, that's real in their lives. Seven marks, okay? So while I'm saying them, don't, it's tempting, but don't, 
don't judge the person next to you, okay? Stick with you, right? How am I doing in these areas? Are these evident in my life? Here's number one, the first mark, um, is the Holy Spirit. Now, right away I say the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure how you react to that, but the Holy Spirit is, is a mark of people whose lives are pointed towards Jesus. We see that at the very beginning. These are all going to kind of go in order. It says this, at the time Mary got ready and hurried to a town, in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. What's up, Elizabeth? And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. True story, really happened. The baby leaped in her womb. Now, I don't know how many of you have, um, have uh, you're married, you've had kids, you've kind of watched the belly. Do you watch the belly? Like, Wendy would always, like, I felt the kick, right? And then she would put my hand where the kick happened, and I'm like, I felt like the worst dad, like, I can't feel the kick. And she, oh, it's over here now. Like, I'm just chasing the kick all around. It's just a weird game. But then as the babies grew, we had two. We had twins, so they ran out of room, right? So when the baby runs out of room, that's when the baby's elbow sticks out, the foot, maybe it's a butt. I don't know. Stuff, like, sticks out of the belly, and you can see it. And it's like, the, it's like alien. It's, it's weird. Like, Women are like, that's cool. And guys are like, <laughs> you know, it's weird. And then when, like if the elbow's pointed out, the elbow moves. You remember this? And like you can watch it just moving. It's like there's a living thing inside you, and I'm not sure it's going to be human, right? It's just really, really, really bizarre. She had something much more amazing than that. Like John's doing backflips in her belly. At the sound of your greeting, the baby leaped inside of me. I don't know how you video that. I don't know how you Instagram that. Like, you know, do it again, John. Do it again, John. He never does it when I'm videoing, right? Like, he's doing backflips in her womb. And she is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to follow Jesus, to be pointed towards Jesus, and not be marked by the Holy Spirit. And here's why. John 15, 26. Because this is, what the, this is what the Spirit does. When the Helper comes, that's what the Bible means by the Holy Spirit. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, here's what he'll do. He will bear witness about me. It's like, you know um, traffic signs? Like they point you which direction to go. If the Holy Spirit's a, tra a traffic sign, all he's ever doing is pointing to Jesus. That's all he does is point to, come on. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on this way, Jesus. And so if we're full of the Holy Spirit, one of the marks of our lives is going to be that we're always pointing people to Jesus. That's what we're going to do. Do people say that about you? Where do you point people? What's that mark in your life like? Are you pointing people to Jesus? Who do you talk about? Jesus, co-workers, yourself, who do we talk about? Who do we point to? It's impossible to be full of the Holy Spirit and not be pointing people to Jesus because that's what he does. That's number one, the Holy Spirit. Uh, number two, the Lordship of Christ. Um, this is crazy to me, but Elizabeth calls Jesus her Lord before he's ever even born. Like She says, um, who am I? that the mother of my Lord would come to me. Verse 43, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to me? So she's looking at Elizabeth. She, she's looking at Mary. She's like, Mary, like you're here, you're pregnant with Jesus, and you're pregnant with my Lord. Before Jesus is ever even born, she recognizes that he's going to be Lord of her life. 
A lot of people get jazzed about Jesus when they feel him in church or see his activity in their lives. What I love about Elizabeth is she's calling him Lord before she ever even met Jesus. She's not even seen him and she's already saying, this is going to be the Lord of my life. What does Lord mean? I mean, this might be really crude, but Lord means that whoever the Lord is gets to call the shots, right? So in a really weird way, if you're not self-employed, the person that you work for, kind of like your Lord at work, right? (laughs) And don't they act like it? Don't you hate that? They're just like, give me some coffee. Get your own. Oh, yes, sir, right away. (laughs) Like, they just, they lord it over you. Jesus talks like they lord power. People that have power, they lord it over you. That's what a Lord is. The Lord is the person who gets to call the shots. Is Jesus Lord of our lives? And if we're pointing towards Jesus, if our lives, if the whole point of our lives is to point towards Jesus, then he will call the shots. We're always looking at him. What do you have me to do now? Where are you leading me now? Elizabeth knew that. She called Jesus her Lord. Here's the third one, honor. Elizabeth honors Jesus by calling him her Lord. But she honored Mary as well. She says in verse 45, blessed is she who has believed that, the, that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. I love that. How do you do with honoring? Like we honor Jesus, but she didn't just honor Jesus. She honored the person who was carrying Jesus. What does that look like in our society? What does it look like if we honor people who carry Jesus? I mean, like we think of these people like, okay, honor pastors because they carry Jesus. Eh, sometimes. Well, honor church people, they carry, well, sometimes. I think what it means is when you have a culture of honor, when you want to honor Jesus, you want to honor people that carry Jesus, you're looking around trying to see Jesus wherever you can see him. And what, what I'm finding is sometimes you see Jesus in people that don't even love him. I heard a story about a guy who was living in a town, and there was this one woman in the town, and she did all these great things in that town, but she did not love Jesus, and she did not go to church. And everybody was always giving a hard time, like, you need to go to church. You need to go to church. You need to go to church. And he was just kind of praying, like, God, how do I, how do I lead her to Jesus? What, and he just felt like God said, like, honor her. Honor her. And so here's how he honored her. He pulled her aside one day and he said, you know what? I just need to tell you this. You remind me of Jesus. He's talking to a girl who doesn't love Jesus, doesn't go to church. He said, you remind me of Jesus. And she started to cry. And he's like, why are you crying? She said, I've lived here my whole life. All I've ever heard is how I need Jesus. I've never had anybody tell me that I remind them of Jesus. Now, he wasn't saying, you're a Christian, you're saved, you're perfect. He was just honoring somebody who was carrying Jesus. I think if we did that, what would our city look like? I believe this, it's impossible to point towards Jesus and not honor others. How are you at showing honor? And here's number four, praise. That first musical that broke out, um, I love this. So Elizabeth is honoring Mary. Elizabeth is saying great things about Mary. You know, like, blessed are you. You're the best of all women that ever lived. I mean, how would you, I'm not a woman, but how would you take that kind of praise, right? Well, yes, I am. I th- thank you for recognizing it, right? She didn't do that. Like, she took that praise, and she just immediately, she, she gave it right back to God. I love that. Um, she broke out in song. It's, it's the first song of her musical. She glorified him. Verse 47, she rejoiced in him. She praised him for his mercy. She recognized his power. She recognized his grace. I mean, our praise is directly related to our awareness of what God has done. 
So what has God done in your life? I, I like to think of things that rhyme. It helps you to remember it. So check this out. We praise where we gaze. We praise where we gaze. Whatever you're looking at, that's what becomes the object of your praise. And if Mary had been looking at herself and Elizabeth had said, you're the best of all women, she'd have been like, yes, I am. Thank you so much. But she wasn't looking at her. She was looking at Jesus. She had a life pointed towards Jesus. And she just passed that praise right on. We praise where we gaze. Our praise is directly related to our awareness of what God has done. Let me just ask you this question. Just like take a 30-second inventory. What has God done for you? What has he done in your life? You ever get in these moments where you're depressed? Life is just horrible. You're having a bad week. And Sydney and I were driving to school the other day, and we were talking about, um, about this verse in the Bible that says, put your hope in God. It talks about my spirit telling your spirit to rise up within me. Put your hope in God. Praise him. And I said, have you ever noticed Sydney, like, what people do when they feel sad? She says, what do you mean? I said, don't they listen to music? Yeah. What kind of music do people listen to when they feel sad? She went, sad music? It's like, that's kind of stupid, isn't it? And she went, yeah, now that you mention it. It's like, we listen to sad music because we're sad, and then we go, I'm just so sad. Hello, right? Like, do something different, right? The Bible's like, are you sad? Man, remember what he's done for you. What has he done for you? What has he done for you? And remembering that, being aware of that results in praise. Here's number five. It's pretty close to the first one, to, to praise it's humility. Humility. What we do with, our, with the praise that we receive reveals whether or not we're humble, right? And I mean like really humble, not false humility, right? Like, no, 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 all, all glory to God, all glory to God. But really it's like, yeah, that's right, come on. But real humility. Man, Mary had that. Mary was humble enough to recognize that she was living in a moment that was amazing, this was never going to happen again. She recognized that. Um, at the end of verse 48, she said, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I mean, can you imagine saying that to somebody? You should try that tomorrow. Just like random conversation. Yeah, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. See what they say. Like, whatever, right? Are you kidding me? But she recognized. Like, this is really happening. God is doing a work in my life. It's an amazing work. It's a once in a lifetime, once in a, in, once in ever work and from now on all generations are going to remember my name and call me blessed that's praise that's an awareness of what's going on but she didn't stop there and I love that what did she follow it up with for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name she knew this any recognition of her was just a reflection of God any recognition of her was just a reflection of God and she, she said this look I'm I'm glad that he's doing this in my life, but what he's doing in my life pales in comparison to who he is. Here's a key to staying humble. Weigh yourself against God's holiness, not against your worthiness. When we weigh ourselves against our own worthiness, we, we say things like, well, I'm not as bad as that person, so I keep a little bit of that praise for me. But when we weigh ourselves against the holiness of God, it's like, man, nothing I ever do will ever be, never can I compare to that? How do we stay humble? We always weigh ourselves against his holiness. Here's the sixth one. Um, this is at the, after Mary's song, when John's being born. The sixth mark in the life of people that are pointing towards Jesus is courage. 
when it was time to name John, all the family that was there, they were like, hey, just name him after your dad. Just name him after Zechariah. And Zechariah, you know, Mary, um, Elizabeth's like, no, 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 no. He's got to be named John. Got to be named John. Got to be named John. And, and what I want you to see is this. John had, um, Zechariah had a moment here where he could have said, you know what? I know what God told me way back in the day, a couple months back. But it's been a couple months now. And here we are. My son's been born. And they want to name him after me. He could have just said, let's do it. Let's name him after me. But instead, he had the courage to stand by his conviction. He had the courage to stand by the commands of God. And so even here, months later, when his, and, all, and I don't know how you do with your family, right? Like, family can put pressure on you, can't they? Have you noticed that? Your mom's like, you should name your child whatever. And you're like, I don't know what to do now. Family, like, some of you are going to travel miles and miles and miles over the next couple of weeks that you would not be traveling if your family hadn't been like, you're coming, right? Family can put pressure on you. And here's, he's sitting with, with family. They're, they're like, nobody in your family is named John. Name him Zechariah. And he could have just laid his convictions down. My youth pastor told me this a long time ago. He said, Paul, intimidation leads to compromise. Intimidation leads to compromise. And here's a man in Zechariah who is not intimidated even by his family. And he said, no, give me something to write with. His name is John. He had courage. He had courage. People that are committed to living lives pointed to Jesus have courage. They might, they might make a, a promise in a moment when they feel it, but they have the courage to live it even when that feeling's gone. And here's the last one. Seventh is redemption. And so we have two songs, right? We have Mary's song. We have Zechariah's song. And when he breaks out in a song, after he's not been on talk for months, what does he sing about? What's his musical song all about? It's all about redemption. He sings about redemption. I love this. And you know, like, when you're watching a musical, you know it's a musical because you're watching it and you can feel the song coming, right? You can just feel it coming. There's going to be a song. Nobody feels a song coming at circumcision. Right? This is circumcision, people. Like, they're at a circumcision. Eight days old. Like, this is a soprano's only song, right? This is circumcision. And a song breaks out. You know it's a musical when you're singing at a circumcision. And so he breaks out in a song, and the entire song is about redemption. He sings a prophetic song about the redemption. Just some of the things he talks about. Verse 68, he, talk, he sings about how God came to redeem us. Verse 69, he came to save us. He came to rescue us. He came to restore us. And, and, and I love the way it wraps up, verse 79. He's, just, he's singing to his son. And he says this, man, if you live a life that's pointed towards Jesus, you're going to live a life that's marked by the redemptive message of the gospel. He said about John, you're going to shine on those living in darkness to guide our feet into the path of peace. Is that true of us? If we went, if we followed you to your job tomorrow, and we just, it's a scary thought. If we just followed you to your job, would, would we watch you at work and say that you are committed to the message of redemption? Or the first time that the person at your job makes you mad tomorrow, if we could get inside your head, would the first prayer that we would see in you be, kill them, God. <laughs> just take them to be with you. Just get them out of my hair. 
We're very committed to what's good for us, but people that are pointed towards Jesus, not just periodically for him in a moment, but pointed towards Jesus, they're, they're for redemption. There are people that say, this, this joker's driving me nuts, but he's not beyond redemption. She's not past being saved. That's what, that's what Zechariah sang about, was that we carry that message of redemption. Do you carry a message of redemption? It's easy to have moments for God. It's easy to periodically be a fan of Jesus it's funny how like right now, football season, everybody jokes about like bandwagon fans or jumping on the bandwagon because the Panthers are winning. But like what marks a fan is that they've been following them for a long time. Jesus has a lot of fans. He once has a lot of followers. Followers point their lives towards Jesus. Fans are periodically for him. And the question is this. I want you to just to do a quick inventory of your life. How does your life measure up against these seven marks? Here they are. Are you full of the Spirit? Are you convinced of the Lordship of Jesus? Are you full of honor and praise and humility and courage? Are you full of the redemptive message of the gospel? And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to just close in prayer. And I'm going to let you just kind of talk to Jesus while I'm praying for you. And what probably is going to happen is you look at those seven marks and you go, boy, there's, there's a couple of those I need to do better at. I mean, I, I need, that's not even remotely in my life. Nobody's looking at my life saying, oh, yeah, they're humble, right? Just repent. Ask God. Allow that to be seen more in me. I want to be pointed toward you, not just periodically for you. Let's pray. Lord, just right now around this room, um, people just talking to you, praying to you. I thank you for what we see here at the end of Luke chapter 1. Um, and I love this, God. This is all before Jesus is born. We get to that next week. And the truth of the matter is, all these things have got to start taking place in our lives. If we're really going to fully grasp the reality of Jesus in our lives, we've got to point our lives toward him. God, I just pray over us in this room that we would not be people that are just periodically for you, fans when it's good and not when it's bad but that our lives would be pointed towards you, that, that people would look at us and say, yes, I see that in Paul. That they would see in us these marks. And so, God, the ones that we, that we aren't doing well in, I, God, I pray that you would help us to allow you to work more and more in us to bring these fruits out. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.